where do you begin with like, there's the starting point of where my mind decided to check out and I lost it completely and had to go to an emergency room and then take a ride in a police car to a mental health facility. Where do you start with that? This might come as a shock. It starts when COVID started. Hello, hello, my amazing little weirdos, and welcome to the Pretty Uncomfortable Podcast. That's right, Pretty Uncomfortable. And do you think I'm going to edit this because there's thunder? Absolutely not, because I am taking that as a damn sign from the universe that's like, fuck yeah, let's make shit uncomfortable. And so... Welcome to the Pretty Uncomfortable Podcast. I hope you like it. I fretted over this name. I lost sleep over this. This was stressful. It was uncomfortable. (laughs) But it had to happen. We've discussed it already. I don't have to go into the details of that. What I want you to know is that the premise of what I am doing here has not changed. Everything that we were as pretty and kink, that is still what we are as we sit here pretty uncomfortable. (laughs) Legit. Seriously? (laughs) We're going to take this as a good sign, right? Right? Yeah, let's take it as a good sign. Nothing is changing. I don't want you to sit here and think like, well, fuck, I came here for the kink. I came here for the sexy shit. Yo, that's all still here. We're still doing the kink. We're still getting fucking sexy. We're still talking about all that. I'm just changing the name to conform a little. I know, you know, I just want to make it more inclusive and make things more welcoming for a wider audience that might be scared away by the name kink. So we are now just making things pretty uncomfortable. But again, Everything is the same, just like with Pretty and Kink. My goal was, it still is, and it will always be to be your new safe word. I want to create a space for you where you can feel comfortable with the uncomfortable. That's never going to change. Yo, (laughs) Mother Nature is like, hey, let's just... We're just going to come in strong. So yeah, there's a torrential downpour (laughs) and a big thunderstorm happening just to, you know, usher this all in. (laughs) Taking it as a sign. Taking it as a sign. So pretty uncomfortable. I hope you love it. I love it. It's warming up to me. Um, you might notice I, I'm I'm stalling on changing the name on a few things because I don't know how things are going to work in the background. And so just make sure that if you are subscribed, you remain subscribed. I don't know once I officially change the name on the back end of things, how that's going to work. So go ahead and just double check that in like a week. If you are not subscribed yet, how dare you? I'm offended. You better hurry up and subscribe. <laughs> Don't keep offending me and hurting my feelings. Go subscribe. So without further ado, let us move on to the premiere episode of the Pretty Uncomfortable Podcast. With this episode, A, 
I split it up into two parts because it got long and I don't love long episodes. So it's a two-parter. This is a juicy one, you guys. This one, I spill the tea. I share a story that I have never fully publicly shared before because it is fucking uncomfortable. And I'm going to tell you about how one night I found myself locked inside of a mental health facility for observation. It was a journey to get there, and I'm about to bring you on that journey. So this is formatted a little bit differently. Um, I am going to just start this episode kind of diving right in. I've already recorded that portion. This is being recorded later. And so, yeah, we're just gonna, we're just gonna jump in and get real fucking uncomfortable. So... All right. Enjoy. Let me know what you think of the name. You know the drill as always. Come hit me up in my DMs. There's always the anonymous link that's in my show notes. And just, you know, always get out there and be weird. I don't have my typical ending with this one because again, real fucking dark. So let's go do this. Let's go spill the tea on my dirty laundry and the roadmap to my madness. I did some thinking, what should the first episode be under the new name? What should it be? And I thought it seems fitting that it should be an uncomfortable episode, right? An uncomfortable topic. And the more I thought about it, the more I came to the realization that the best way for me to kick off this relaunch would be with something very uncomfortable something that I've actually never publicly talked about before as far as like my own personal life, Um, something that had a huge effect on my life, but a really, really dark time. And I'm kind of scared to talk about it quite honestly. I have truly never fully discussed this publicly. It's, It's embarrassing. And sitting here now in the present, telling the story when I start looking back, it's mm -mm. but it feels appropriate that that's how we should start and then next week we'll kick back off with some fun stuff so we're just gonna dive in and I'm gonna get uncomfortable for you and I'm going to tell you the story about how three years ago I found myself in a mental hospital locked behind doors scared shitless not well not okay very scared. How did I end up there? So when I think about how to tell this story, it's complicated because I want to protect actually my own privacy. I am at a point where any other parties that were involved, you know what, that's, mm, I'm worried about my own privacy. And so there may be spots in the story where it's like something feels like it's missing. It's because it is. But I think for the best way for me to feel comfortable sharing this uncomfortable story, I have to respect myself with some of my boundaries. So it's, it's a hard story to tell. And like, where do you begin with like, there's the starting point of where my mind decided to check out and I lost it completely and had to go to an emergency room and then take a ride in a police car to a mental health facility. Where do you start with that? 
this might come as a shock. It starts when COVID started. Boom, boom, boom. Isn't that when everybody's life fell apart, right? Like everybody's fucking life fell apart. Mine came crumbling down. It was like right after everything started shutting down with COVID. And so many things started happening all at once. Like, and not just traumatic things, but just like life stressors were starting to build up even before like all the shutdown stuff started. And I had been in an incredibly toxic relationship for approximately two years, like just under two years at that point. And it wasn't, it wasn't good at all. It was very unhealthy. It was uh, very emotionally abusive. Um, I played a big part as well with emotional abuse. I can own that completely. Um, But I was in a relationship with somebody that just was, was a very bad person and was dealing with the mindset of one has after spending a lot of time with a narcissist. If you have spent time with one, then you know what I'm talking about. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you're so fucking lucky. Um, and I do want to just drop a little pin right here to say, when I say narcissist, I do not mean Instagram narcissist because it seems to become this like this pop word this like everybody's grabbing it and using it and it it bothers me a lot sometimes when I see the way it's being used because there's there's bad people and then there's like true narcissism and um this was true narcissism so I was dealing with a lot and then suddenly in in one in one little message that I received on my phone, everything came crumbling down. And this is the point where I have to do a little bit of a dance to sort of protect my privacy, but still be able to like tell you my story. So I'm not going to tell you what occurred. Something horrible came to me um, in regards to my relationship. And, and it was bad. It was really, really bad. And When it occurred, I started leaning on my mother very, very heavily. I'm very close to my mom. Like she was my best fucking friend. Nothing compares to my mom. I would tell her everything. (laughs) Like I'm sure she was like, yo, stop telling me everything. So I'm leaning on my mom during this very, very difficult time. And I'm talking like I'm on the phone sobbing to her for hours every single day, trying to work through this, trying to work through it with my partner. And things are really, really dark. For two weeks, I am spending this time on the phone with my mom. We live very far apart. And by the end of that two week period, I start hearing some changes in my mom's breathing and, you know, just... (laughs) long story short and my mom ends up in the hospital and declines very quickly she goes in with pneumonia and she's on a ventilator within like two or three days I think so suddenly I am dealing with this horrendous situation in my in my relationship that is fucking me up. I am talking, I am not eating. I'm not sleeping. I was averaging like two hours of sleep, maybe a night. Um, I was living off of fucking like water 
and fluffernutter sandwiches, which if you don't know what a fluffernutter sandwich is, shame on you. It's marshmallow fluff and peanut butter. And it's amazing. And I highly recommend it if you need a comfort food. I literally was like surviving on that. I, I was not healthy. People that saw me even in that short period of time were like, Ooh, are you okay? You don't look well. I was dropping weight super fast and I was declining mentally, right? Because I'm not sleeping. And when I was sleeping, I was having these horrendous nightmares surrounding what happened that it was just even in sleep, I wasn't getting any kind of relaxation. I wasn't getting a reprieve. It was still torture. When I was awake, my brain wouldn't stop. Um, I do have OCD. I'm very fortunate. I have a mild case of it and I say I'm fortunate, but sometimes in times like this, I I don't think so because I, I definitely go much more heavily on the O side of OCD, which OCD is obsessive compulsive disorder. I definitely lean more on the side of having to deal with obsessive thoughts So when you're dealing with kind of like a trauma that turns on and like when your brain's already going and then you add this actual like fucking disorder, it was horrible. I remember laying in my bed and counting the window panes in my window because counting for me with my OCD is a form of comfort. And I like, oh, there was no escaping it. Like I literally would just lay there and look at the window panes and go three, six, nine, 12, three, six, nine, 12, three, six, nine, 12 over and over and over again in my head. And it was like non-fucking-stop. So my brain is just pissed off. It's pissed off, right? I'm dealing with all this shit and I'm dealing with a personality that... I should have walked away from a very long time ago. And suddenly, like, I'm also dealing with my best friend, my mom, unexpectedly in the hospital. And I knew immediately, I knew the day I got the call that she was admitted, that she wasn't going to leave. And I don't know why. My mom wasn't sick. My mom, my mom didn't have any, like, major health issues that were affecting her, like, in that moment in her life. She was not healthy, but... Nothing that was like, oh, you know, we got to keep an eye on her. This was very unexpected. Yet I knew for some reason the day I got the call that I probably was never going to see my mom again. And that was weighing on me. I don't have family. I've got my dad and my stepmom. And I had my dog at that point and my mom. So the idea of losing her was just soul crushing and I'm, and I'm dealing with that next to somebody that is completely incapable of any form of emotional support, like at all. And on top of that, I'm having to almost babysit this person because of just a lot of other things going on at the same time that were, that were his own issues. And it's a lot, it's too much. And my mom's in the hospital. And finally, she's in the hospital for about, I don't, I don't even know at that point, um, you know, a couple weeks. And I've been on and off the phone with the, with the nurses, just a lot of things that I didn't want to have to be thinking about. I finally make the decision to fly up there and basically flying up there. I know why I'm going and I go up, I'm there for 
three days, I think. In those three days, I make the decision that she needs to be taken off of life support, which I don't wish that on anybody. Having to make that decision is the hardest fucking thing I've ever done. That is like you you literally have somebody's life in your hands and and you need to make that decision. Like I kept looking over my shoulder like me you you I I need to are you sure? I mean, I got to a point where I'm like, can can we just fucking flip a coin so I can blame the coin if it is the wrong decision? Because this, I need to live with this on my shoulders for the rest of my life. Like, fuck off. No, I don't want to have to decide this. And I'm having to decide this surrounded by people that don't want it to happen. So now I'm like the bad guy, right? And I'm having to make the decision to let go of my best friend and and my number one support with no other support by my side. I have this like empty shell of a person with me that was just like, like a, I don't like a bag of flesh to lean on, I guess, and feel warmth, but there was no comfort. So all of that's occurring. I make the decision and my mom passes and I fly home and now I have to start planning my mother's funeral, which that's not something I wish on anybody either. Like I didn't know how hard it could be to pick out a fucking casket, but it's a lot harder than I thought. I'm dealing with that. I'm dealing with this other person in my home and it's getting bad. It is getting bad with him and I know, I know that I need him gone and I need him out and I made the wrong decision with wanting to work through things, but I fucking can't. Like I am so in it right now with, with my mom passing and this like unshakable depression that is just following me every second of the day and it's weighing on me and it's so heavy and I'm trying to figure out what color coffin would my mom want? Because my mom would be pissed if she found out I picked out the wrong color. Let me tell you. (laughs) Suddenly I'm having to figure that out. And like, what is supposed to go on a prayer card? I don't know. We're not a religious family. I've never said a prayer in my life. Why do I have to decide this? I need to decide if my mom's going to have an open casket, if we're even going to have a viewing. I have to pick out a headstone. I mean, it's, I don't want to do any of this. I want to do none of it. And I certainly want to do none of it with this other person around me at this point. But I don't, I don't even have it in me. Like I have zero capacity to even tend to that. I fly back up North. I bury my mother. I go through that. I come home and things start to deteriorate. And now the welcome mat is starting to get rolled out. And little do I know there is this path from my friend door leading to a mental health facility that I'm eventually going to end up in, in exactly two weeks, two weeks from the day my mom passed, I end up hearing the clink of a lock behind me as I go through those doors to like the scariest fucking experience I've had. And I would love to tell you like how I got there. but I can't. It's such a weird feeling because in hindsight, I can see that there were a lot of 
There are a lot of little signs and signifiers that were telling me something wasn't right within myself. All these really weird things start occurring. I don't figure it out at that point because my mom is dead and that's all I care about. My mom is dead. I don't get to focus on it because I'm focusing on this other shit show that's occurring within my house that is building and building and building. And you can just feel it and you can feel the fucking pressure and it's getting bad and it's getting explosive. And I start doing things again that in hindsight, I'm like, Jesus Christ, yo, like how did I not catch myself doing this? But our healthcare system's amazing. And that's pure sarcasm. And I don't have health insurance. I started having horrendous anxiety attacks and like I I couldn't breathe. I couldn't sleep. I couldn't eat. I couldn't focus. Like I, I was just on edge all the time, ready to explode. I couldn't get medication from anybody because you look like a drug seeker if you're looking for like anti-anxiety meds. And so you got to hit the streets sometimes to get what you need. And so I end up with a large amount of medication to ease my anxiety. And one night I go into my kitchen and I grab the container it's in and I go back in my bedroom and I tuck the container in my underwear drawer. Why? Why? That's odd. I needed to make sure I had the availability so that I could peace out. Basically, it it is shocking to me when I look back at this. So I grab those two nights before everything gets bad because things are getting really fucking bad and I am shutting down and I am going silent and it's not pretty. And the final day, I discover something that sets me off and this is it. The bomb drops and everything I've been feeling suddenly is all coming up at once. Now remember at this point, I haven't eaten or slept properly in like a month and a half at that point. So I'm not, I'm not fueled properly, basically, right? Like no sleep, no food. Mm, It's not pretty. I lose it. And I start to dissociate, which I didn't even know was a fucking thing. Like I truly didn't know that happens. And, and I've always understood, you know, you drive your car home from work sometimes and you're like, how the fuck did I get, how did I get home? That's dissociating. Just there's different ways people do it. And in this moment of trauma, my brain couldn't do it. Suddenly it was all piled all at once. It was like somebody opened a box, dumped it on me, and suddenly every feeling was there at once. And I fucking couldn't. My brain turned off. This was three years ago. And I still only remember, mm, I don't even know, maybe 25% of that day. It's gone. You know, when you watch those like crime shows and it's like, you know, Mary Beth murdered her husband. We found her with the knife. And yet she says that she doesn't remember. And Mary Beth is like, I literally can't remember murdering him. Like, are you sure? Because I don't remember when clearly Mary Beth murdered him. That was me. Like my brain turned off, but nothing else did. I carried on with the chaos and it was chaos and it was 
violent and I can take ownership. The violence was pretty much primarily on my end. Um, very violent, very volatile. It, it was not pretty. My house to this day holds the scars of that day. I, it, there are stains, there are dents, there are cuts in my floor. Like it was not pretty. And somewhere within that moment, I contact a friend that I work with apparently and ask her to come and get my dog. And I pack my dog's bag and put everything outside because I think I knew that I was, I was planning, I was planning on being done. And so I wanted to make sure my dog was in a safe place. Again, this is hindsight, like in the moment. I don't know what the fuck is going on. She shows up later. I don't remember her showing up. She told me that she was there for like two hours. I don't remember any of this. But before she shows up, I throw something and it breaks. And I have always had an issue with feeling like I haven't been heard, whether that was as a child or in relationships and sometimes even in friendships, like I just feel like people don't hear me. They they don't hear me when I speak. And it's it's been difficult for me. It's a very hard feeling. I, in high school, when we were seniors, we, we got to have like these like shirts, right? With the year you graduate on the back and you could put any name on the back of it, you know, like a, like a sports shirt, right? And I put the word invisible. <laughs> I put the word invisible because that's how I felt it's been this big thing that has always followed me. And in this specific relationship, it just felt like I was never heard, like I was never seen. And one thing that I remember so crystal clear is I threw something and it was a, it was a flower pot and I grabbed one of the pieces and I was on the floor and I was screaming and I said, do you see me fucking now? And I took this piece and I ran it up my arm from my wrist to like the inside of my elbow to, I think, get this like visual of you can't miss this. How can you miss this? Do you see me now? Now do you understand? This wasn't a move of like... I want to slice my arm open and, and be gone. This truly was like, does the color of my blood get your attention? However, I am blacked out. I'm not present. I cut deep and I am bleeding everywhere and I am screaming. And next thing I remember, I was in my bathroom. I was sitting on my bathroom floor And the friend from work was sitting in front of me, talking to me. And she was trying to like get my arm to look at my arm. I had broken a finger. At that point, it was already turning black. She calls my best friend. My friend comes and gets me. My friend is a nurse. She looks at me. She said, do you know what this means? And I said, I do. She said, you know, we have to go have your arm looked at. You might need stitches. I said, I know. And she was like, your finger's fucked up. I don't know how fucked up it is, but it's black you need to have these things looked at. I know. Do you understand what it means if we go and have these things looked at? I do. Do you understand that you have no other option? We are going. I said, I do. I knew in that moment exactly 
where I was going to go. I was not safe whatsoever. I knew I wasn't safe. My friend knew I wasn't safe. And anybody that interacted with me that night, it was clear as fucking day. I wasn't safe. I don't remember getting there. The only thing I remember from that drive is just saying, I wish my mom was here. And the irony was, if my mom was here, would I be here? Would I be bleeding and broken right now? Or would I have been able to handle all this other stuff, right? Because like my mom being gone was, you fuck this dude. Mind you, I will give a lot of credit to what happened with that situation fucked me up. I ended up with PTSD. It'll fuck you up spending a lot of time with a narcissist, let me tell you. But what broke me, broke me. That final straw was my mom and my mom being gone and not being able to lean on my mom and feeling like my mom wasn't there because of me, which rationally, I know that's not true. What, like, if I didn't sign the papers, my mom was going to miraculously, like, come to life? Like, no, there was no coming back. But in that time, with all these other stressors, it was like, it's my fault. My mom is gone because of me. My mom is gone and I can't lean on her. My mom is gone and what do I do now? We always had this saying, oh, wow. <laughs> We always had, oh, I can't. We always had this saying that we ended almost every phone call with. We signed all of our like holiday cards, birthday cards, Mother's Day cards with it. And it was, what would I do without you? And on that day, I discovered the power of those words of, what would I do without you? <laughs> clearly whatever I do without you, I'm not doing it well. You know, it was like, it, it was a, it was a, you know, I've never sat and processed my mom's death <laughs> because of everything else that occurred. I never had the time to sit and process it. And the further away you get from it, it almost feels like it's harder to like, I don't know, processing a death, and unfortunately, like I've seen a lot, you process it best when it's raw and when your emotions are raw. I feel like you can really like purge everything to move to that next step of like just letting them live in your memory and in your heart and you still hurt, but they're alive in a better way. I couldn't process and... I choose to not feel hatred, but there's days that I hate him, that he took from me the mourning process of my mom. He took that from me where I didn't have time and I didn't have the capacity because I was so focused on the shit show. I've learned to let go of almost all of my anger and truly feel almost nothing at this point. But if I think about my mom too much, I feel hate, which is, ugh, ugh. It's the worst feeling. It's the worst feeling. I don't like it at all because it doesn't affect the other person. It just eats you up, right? It's, but there's days that I fucking hate him. 
for taking that from me because the further away I get from her death, my mourning process has become more complicated that now I'm sitting here recording a podcast and a video crying to strangers about the death of my mom when I've never even fully sat with my therapist and cried about my mom. That's big, you know? Um, so yeah, we're on the drive to the hospital and, and I, I realized the impact of what would I do without you? Okay, my friends, this feels like the appropriate time to pause this story. We will finish here with part one, and I will conclude the story in the next episode in part two, where I will take you on the lovely degrading ride in the back of a cop car on my way to being admitted to a mental health facility. I will bring you on the journey of my recovery home and the struggles I had with that as well as I will dive a little bit deeper into being in a relationship that you know you should not be in and yet you're not willing to admit. I will discuss the power that I actually drew from the injuries that I took and how I decided to turn them into positive reminders, as well as I will discuss why I actually needed all of these horrible things to happen to me in order for me to be the person sitting here today. So I hope you will join me in part two. And truly, I cannot thank you enough for being here and listening to my story. It truly does mean so much. So thank you for joining me. And I hope you will join me for the conclusion in part two.